0: All right. Oh, you're the bomb. Thank you. Um I'm going to jump right in if you guys don't mind. Um really it it's been awesome. I uh, a lot of this stuff it's just I I don't get a chance to teach this comprehensively. So imagine having 45 minutes where I show up one night to your church. That's mostly what people get and And then they're fried and don't know what to do with it. So it's like to have like all week with you guys and be able to like go actually in depth to a lot of this stuff is not only maybe it's not just helpful to you. It's actually helpful to me because it reminds me of all the spots of like, oh, I really want to focus because while I'm teaching it, my brain's actually thinking man i want to study that part more or i really love that part and some people were asking for books um like where should i start like where are some books for church history stuff like that and one that just like it it kind of stirred me was um there's lots of boring ones there's um interpreting the scriptures that's like literally just tons and tons of information church history 101 which is just tons and tons of information uh Like a book called uh, The Prophets, which is basically just this slow walk through all the prophets of the Old Testament. There's just lots of books like that. But a book that I think will be interesting and valuable for this group specifically, for everyone that's in this room, is a book called The History of the Moravian Church. And the history of the the reason I say the history of the Moravian church is because it covers more than the Moravian church. It shows you how the Moravian church was connected to a lot of denominations and a lot of moves of God on the planet. And it starts back with Wycliffe and works all the way into modern, uh, into sort of modern Moravian movement, how they came over to the U S and all that stuff. So it's an interesting book. And I think what it'll do more than anything is just give you a chance to go, Oh, I want to study that more. And you guys would be amazed at like how many great books are out there. Like, and honestly, what I, what I would encourage you to do is plow through the boring ones. Just cause the book is boring. Doesn't mean that there aren't parts that won't touch you like for real. Um, there's some stuff that I've read that is the one that I'm reading right now that's super huge or super boring, but I love it. Is in, is interpreting the scripture by Kevin Connor. This is like it's a study on Jewish hermeneutics and hermeneutical law. <laughs> And like uh, principles of hermeneutics, like basically the goal is like, it's like how to learn how to interpret the Bible for yourself. And so for me, it's like super beneficial because I want to learn how to get stuff out of the word for me, not wait for somebody else to get revelation so that I have to glean off of theirs. Does that make sense? And honestly, at the end of the day, I don't have time to go to school for another four to six years to figure this out. Like, I just have to dive into these books and pour in. So I have, like, a super huge library at home. I read four or five books. That's why God has, I think God made Kindle and the iPad for me so that I can carry 45 or 50 books with me at a time. And so, like, I literally have in my iPad, like, I just jump from book to book to book to book. Read the boring stuff, okay? Okay. Read the boring stuff. You, I, it, you'll get something out of it eventually. <laughs> It'll, there will be a payoff. I promise. Okay, um, but those are a couple books to start with, um, and hopefully they'll give you just a little bit of context of where this stuff comes from. Anyway, okay. Today we're going to talk about kingdom, and so. So let me put it this way. Let me just put love is the context. And if you know your history, which basically is talking about where you came from, you can walk into the future with power. Okay. Like, because we have, we know the context is this. So we view all the context of history now, not by on a judgmental scale of going like, well, this is why this happened. And this is why this happened. We shouldn't agree with that. And that's this No, if The context is love. And we actually trust that love is actually trying to figure out how to do this well. And nobody's actually trying really hard to be heretical. They're actually trying to figure this out just like you and I, then we can look at history objectively and we can look at the past objectively and through the lens of love go man, these are a lot of broken people trying to really figure this thing out. So even though 40,000 denominations sounds harsh, you, God loves the church. So don't hear through the, because some people have taken that information, read books. Like that's why I told people there's a book called pagan Christianity that has a lot of history in it. But at the end of the day, it's a really bad read for people that are already offended because they'll take the information and try to attack the church with it. And that information is slanted. Towards rebellion. I'm just, that's the harshest way I could put it. It's a great book, but you could just read the footnotes. And I think it's actually going to be more beneficial for you because the actual book is written towards C it's terrible. We shouldn't be doing these things, but I'll tell you what, I walk into corporate church. Now I walk into a thousand churches all the time. Some churches, I just sneak into the back and I just weep my eyes out because their services suck so bad. And I'm not crying because their service sucks. I'm crying because God actually loves their, their, their weak and feeble attempts to worship him. That's what I'm wrecked by, that God actually loves this service. <laughs> and my arrogance says I could do it better. And God goes, no, you couldn't. This is, this is what they have. They're working with what they have. And now as prophets, we can go, ah, oh, this sucks, and we're just going to kick everything down, and God has more for you. Ah! Or we can just go, man, some people are going to enjoy services for the rest of their life, and it's going to be worship, preaching, offering, maybe one more song, and then they leave and go get lunch, but they're not going to hell because of it. Does that make sense? And, I, and that's the part I'm saying, if our hearts aren't broken over it, then we shouldn't prophesy. If our hearts aren't broken, we shouldn't preach it. Does that make sense? Because if not, we're just going to be angry people. <laughs> And if we have the context of love, understanding the history, then where this is going is super awesome. Sorry, I got a, a bum one. Okay, so this, and this is all in the context, boop, 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 past, present, future. This is kingdom. Okay, now kingdom, there's two words in your Bible that, that, are, king, uh, that are used for kingdom, Old Testament and New Testament. And in, in the Old Testament, it's a word. Uh, I want you guys just to have them just so that you can know what it is. Malkuth. And in the the New Testament, it's, uh, I'm not going to attempt to say it. I knew it at one time, but I haven't taught this section of it specifically. Uh, You know, my Greek is really poor, so I don't really say it all the time. But um, but this is the Old Testament version, this is the New Testament version, and they both mean the same thing. Okay? They're basically, they represent each word, each of it. This is, this is what we got to get. That if you look through Jewish history, what you're going to find is that Jew, the, the Jewish people were waiting for a world dominating force to establish them as a nation again, in the time of David, in the line of David. So when Jesus came as a servant of all, and he didn't come to reign on a king, remember, that's why they threw the, the it says that Jesus disappeared because they wanted to make him king. Then all of a sudden they're laying down palm branches, which is not only a prophetic word, but it was a sign of a coming king. Like they were expecting Jesus as he walked into the city that he was going to establish, was basically going to lead them to take over the city. They were going to take back Jerusalem. They were going to take back their land. They were going to overthrow Rome. They were going to do their thing. And it was all going to be led by Jesus. And this is what we think all the time. We think it's God's responsibility that when he comes on my life, I'm going to start to reign and rule in such a way where all my circumstances changes and not my internal structure. God is actually more interested in your internal structure than he is about your circumstance. I said it yesterday, but that's why so many Jews were offended because they they wanted Jesus to save them from their circumstance and not their sin. And so when Jesus came to save them from their sin and not their circumstance, they were offended and rejected him. And kingdom is not about you walking in and overthrowing governments. Because the greater government exists in the midst, look, Jesus was the greatest politician and greatest, he, was, he affected all the governments of the earth and never became a politician. He was the greatest husband in all of eternity, but he never, he never, uh, he never got married. He affected, all the, he, was, uh, he affected all the governments on the earth, and he didn't have any money to do it. He had to borrow a coin in order to make an illustration. And we think we need money in order to make this thing work out. Well, if I just had a little bit more money, I could do X, Y, Z. No, if you had a little bit more money, you'd probably be in more trouble. Because nobody's probably taught you how to work with money. So if you got a lot more of it, you would get in a lot more trouble. So Jesus had nothing. he had, And he still was able to operate in government. Because government is not a leadership position. And government is not a world-dominating force. This is the way I define kingdom. The kingdom... Of God, when Jesus is referring to it, is the will of God. Oh, what's the, the will of God lived out by the people of God. This is how I define kingdom anywhere the will of God is lived out by the people of God. Because the goal is, Jesus said, I do nothing apart from what I see the Father doing. So when somebody hears the will of God, hears the will of God, which I've talked about, is to love the Lord your God, what? So do you understand? That the will of God, that the kingdom is anywhere where people are loving God with everything they have, and that's it. Now that may lead you now what now watch now this is going to lead you to an assignment. Does that make sense? This is going to lead you to an assignment. sometimes we call it a calling. okay? This will lead you to an assignment or to a calling, but it is not a place. it is not a sign and a wonder. It is not, this is the simple definition of kingdom is a bunch of people who love God so much that they do what he says, no matter what it is, that they just follow him wherever he goes. That's what the kingdom looks like. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like a fall, like a dad who lets his son go, but stays here. Why? Because he said, it's all about love. He's giving you context, the kingdom of heaven. We could walk through a thousand verses on what the kingdom of heaven is like, but these are the things that I want to point out practically. Are you ready? There's a lot of them. Okay. So what I'm going to do, do you guys have this? Cause I'm going to erase it. Cause I'm gonna make more room. Okay. If you don't get it from someone else, they'll be your best friend. I'm going to draw two lines. This is kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth. Okay. This is the differences. Now I want to address this before we get into this, because some people have preached Matthew, uh, it's Matthew 11, I think Matthew eleven, twelve. 12, Matthew eleven, twelve. 12, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And I've heard people preach that you should, we, that we need to take the kingdom by force by violence. And we're talking, we need to raise up violent lovers of Jesus and violent, violent, violent. Nowhere in your Bible does Jesus Christ honor violence. And this passage is exactly the same thing this he's literally referring he says the kingdom of heaven from the time of john the time of the, uh from the time of john the baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent people have been raiding it there's nothing positive in that entire passage there's not one positive statement from jesus you want to know what violence looks like in the kingdom jesus dying on a cross You know what radical, obedient, God-filled, ordained love looks like? A cross where you die so that others might live. And we have this mentality of like 300 and like let's go to war and let's do this thing. And I just, you don't understand that if your whole rally cry of war isn't married to a tender heart, that's Davidic. Not just warrior, the warrior married to the tenderness is what God is actually looking for. He's looking for someone with courage to move forward, but with a tender and broken heart that's willing to die for the cause. And I just want to break this lie in this circle that I've heard so many times by people who are much smarter than me. And I just disagree with them strongly that the kingdom of heaven actually suffers violent and we don't need to be violent. The goal for us is not violence. He says, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. We are not violently supposed to raid this kingdom by force. We're supposed to lay down our lives and let God lead us. And with courage, we'll go to places he's never led us before. Does that make sense? I feel like that passage specifically has been poorly preached all over the planet and it has to be dealt with. Because most commentaries would not agree with our prophetic teaching about a violent king, about us violently taking the kingdom back. But it makes for a really great message, and everybody gets really excited. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, let's go get it. No, go die. That's the answer. You want to know what the most offensive message is in the kingdom? The most offensive message in the entire kingdom of God is when it hurts, keep moving forward. Most of our counseling should look like this. Not, oh, let me try to get you to feel better. No, the goal is not to get you to feel better. Not because your feelings aren't important, but there is something more important. I've told people for a long time, the most offensive message is to go lay hands on the sick when I have a daughter at home that doesn't walk. That's what the kingdom looks like. Do I stop praying for the sick because my daughter hasn't been healed? No. The answer is no. 100% no. But the message behind that is super offensive to anybody who doesn't have to live my life. Which is, when it sucks, keep moving forward. When it hurts, keep pushing. Nobody wants to hear that message. They want a pat on the back, a big hug, and be, it's all going to be okay. Well, it is all going to be okay, but it's not going to stop. You're going to keep moving forward. My job and my responsibility is not for you to feel okay about your situation. Jesus Christ did not feel okay when he went to the cross. We can see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, let this cup pass from me. But if not, I guess I'll keep moving forward. But I don't really want to because this does not seem like fun anymore. This is really going to hurt. I can see it, feel it, sense it. I know where this is going, and I don't really want to do it, but I will because it's God. Not because it's what I want. And most of us, we get to the Garden of Gethsemane and we are done. We're like, oh, I see around the corner. This is going to suck. I'm out. I can't do it. And we cry. We try to get counseling. And really what we're looking for in counseling is just somebody who agrees with us. If we're just honest, we're not really looking for counseling for somebody to help us get better. We just want somebody to make us feel good. And we'll switch counselors and we'll switch friends a hundred times just to be around people who agree with us. What you you need in the body of Christ is not somebody who agrees with you, but somebody who's going to push you harder. That's the greatest hug you can get from a friend. Oh, I'll be there for you when it sucks. Let's just keep going. Let's just not stop. Let's agree that we're not going to always agree, but we're never going to stop. Let's keep going forward. No, my life is falling apart. So-and-so died. This happened. You don't understand. It's gotten really hard. No, I do understand. Do you understand that I understand? As this, me, Jake Hamilton, standing in front of you, I get it. I have to look at my daughter every day and watch God heal a ton of people around me. Cancer falling off, lungs being replaced, broken bones being put back into place. Legs growing out, limbs growing out, all sorts of crazy, insane, blind eyes opening, mute speaking, deaf hearing, all of it go home. Oh, I get it. But I'm not going to be offended because my experience and my circumstance does not dictate God's character. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And now when my wife came to me three years ago and said, you suck as a husband, (laughs) you married ministry and not me. And I'm sick and tired of it. I could have been, well, you don't understand. You suck. I don't know why yet, but you're mean and saying mean stuff to me. And we could have turned it into a huge argument, which I've seen tons of ministers around me do right now. And they're throwing away their marriages for one reason. They're not willing to get low and press in. Get low, press in, and keep moving forward. If you don't get that, none of this will make sense. Because in the context of love, love, like I said at the very beginning, does not happen in a vacuum. And if you're not willing to push into it, it's already dead. If you're not willing to go low and suffer, suffer. Paul said it this way, I want to know the I want to know Christ, the knowledge of God, I want to know Christ. I want the power of the resurrection. So he wants to know God and he wants to the power. But the third thing we just like to skip over because we don't really want the third thing, which is and the unity of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. The fellowship of the sufferings. I want to join with Jesus in his sufferings. That's what he said. I want the knowledge of God. I want the power that comes with it. But I want to join him in the sufferings. Why? Because the sufferings will prove more to anyone else on the planet that you actually believe what you're saying. Because anybody can do this when it's easy. Anybody can be a Christian when there's not a problem around you. But the moment the waters get troubled and stuff starts shaking around you, do you get shaken too? Or are you the only thing standing still so other people try to grab onto you? Because if you're the only thing unmovable and unshakable in those circumstances, they will grab onto you and you will take them to Jesus. But until that happens, we are all we are is a fan club. We're not a, we're not a faith. We're all big fans of Jesus, but we don't have faith in him. We don't have trust in him. We're just big fans. So we have a nice fan club with lots of nice meetings and lots of nice gatherings, but we don't have faith yet. We just have a fan club. We need a faith, a faith that shakes the kingdom of earth. And this is what it looks like. It says, the first one is, the, uh, let's start with the, the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of earth has a top-down model which I shared with you a little bit. So the way that the kingdom of earth works is you put the guy on the top and he leads all the other people on the bottom. (laughs) The leader carries the vision that all others submit to, which leads to, to, to the protection of their position. And it leads really to fear. This top down model is all about one thing control. Control and submission to my vision, to what God's doing with me. Top down model, business model, and you'll all submit to me. Jesus comes, and he goes from, goes to a bottom-up model. And Jesus, he gets the lowest that he can get. King of kings, Lord of lords, born in a manger. Born in a manger. If you can grasp that the king of earth was born, the king of all the universe was born in a manger, and that actually smashes your heart that he was willing to go into the dirt and the muck and the mire of the lowest of the low and not born into a palace, you will get something theologically shaken because he did not choose a palace. And that may, you may have heard that every Christmas message your whole life, but until it shakes your heart, you won't get radically transformed in how you're supposed to lead because when Jesus comes like this, he's telling you, I want everybody else to get lifted up above me. I want you to get lifted up. I want you to go. I want you to do greater works. I want you to be empowered. I want you to run. I want you to fly. And it doesn't, this is the best part. This is the reason he believes in a bottom-up model. Because Jesus knows who he is. So everybody that gets raised up around him doesn't have their character challenge. Because Jesus knows who he is. He's not confused about who he is or his position in all of eternity. So he has no problem reminding you of your greatness. The problem is our insecurity limits our ability to be able to tell people how great they are. And it's not a manifestation of their lack and we can't trust them because they've got all these issues. No, find the most broken people and then empower them. And when they mess it up, tell them how great they are and then have them do it again. No, we need to have 55 meetings. All right. The, the problem is Jesus says the least are the greatest, the last will be first. And the, I chose the weak and the broken things of the world to shame the wise. There's a ton of verses on it, you guys. And we know the verses, but we don't really believe them. The last shall be first. When was the last time when you got in the line over there, you were the first in line for something that you were waiting for. And instead of, instead of uh, keeping your position at the front, you went and grabbed the person at the back, put them in the front, and took their position at the back. Just to model it. In the States, like in the, uh, in the continental, cause it's different here because you got a whole lot of weird roads. But I just tell people, most of us we're driving down the road and we try to find the lane that has the least amount. When we're getting to a red light. You know, it's like you're pulling up to the red light and you're like, which one has the least amount of cars? No, just pull into the one that has the most practice ways in your life of slowing down and going. I'm going to be last. Practice ways where you are tangibly choosing last, so that way when God puts you there you 're not offended you 're prepared. Number two education uh, leads to influence. Education leads to influence in the war in the kingdom of the world. They believe that whoever has the highest education model is therefore worthy of being an influencer and pouring in. The problem is, it's actually the opposite in, uh, in the kingdom. Excellence equals influence. Now, let me say this. Excellence is different than perfectionism. Excellence is different than perfectionism. Why perfectionism says you can't do anything until you're perfect. Excellence says what you have is good enough. Give it. And you want to know which one you have. It's easy. If you're afraid to move forward, if you're afraid to move forward until you do it right, you're living in a spirit of perfectionism. Because here's what it says about David in the, in the scriptures. It says that David was excellent, not perfect. Why, why was he excellent? Because I'm going to give my two chords to God with all that I have. I'm going to give my little two chords in my broken voice. I'm giving it to God. And some of us, sometimes we get in. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how your school of worship functions. I don't know how all that functions. But I'll tell you this. We are waiting for people to be good enough to put them on the platform. And all we're doing is reminding the world that if you're not perfect, you can't come in. So we put all of our best people on the front. Does anybody, have you recognized yet that my daughter doesn't sing? Have you not recognized that yet? Maybe you missed the part where she just gets really excited and can't really keep on tempo and doesn't really keep like singing the right chords. Do you think I'm ever going to tell her to stop singing? Why? Cause she's giving her whole heart and that's what impacts you, not her perfect voice. And we need to start promoting people who are giving their whole heart. Because I'm telling you right now, it's going to impact a gender. And you're like, well, but we've got to, you know, we've got to do things with excellence. No, that's what I'm telling you. Your definition for excellence is wrong. What you're actually trying to say is we're not going to do it until they're perfect or they're good enough. Based on whose scale? Your scale? That's weird because your Bible doesn't say make a perfect pitch. It says make a joyful noise. Do you honestly think when my daughter comes up and says, I have a song, Daddy, I wrote this song, I want to sing it, and she sings it, "Ah, ah, ah," I'm like, well, that's terrible, you're a horrible singer, you should never sing again, don't ever sing to me again until you've got really good pitch, that's, what am I, a good father or a bad father? What do you think God does when you go, "Ah, ah, ah, do you think he's like, well, that was horrible, don't ever do that again, stop now, you're offending everyone around you, no, he says, I love it, sing louder because I'm not worried about you being perfectly on key. That's what I love about Jack White's version of doing music, because he's not worried about how the guitar sounds out of tune or how the drums are not in the right tempo. What he's worrying about is releasing a sound. And we're so worried about figuring out what's going to happen that we're not doing anything. And we've created a standard for a bunch of people that has, look, you guys, look look who God chooses throughout Scripture. Okay? Noah, drunk. Abraham, angry. Moses, he's angry too, but he was a murderer and a stutterer as well. David, he cheats on his wife. Daniel, he's in exile, doesn't have any history. Esther, she's sold into sex trafficking. That's what Esther was. I don't know if you know the story well enough, but Esther was essentially sex trafficked. And we like hear the passage and we're like, you're an Esther. That's like a hard prophetic word. You know what I mean? Like, I just see that you're an Esther. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Because Esther didn't want to be there. Esther was sex trafficked. The king, right? The king didn't like his other wife because she stood up to him. So she got rid of that. He got rid of her. And then he went to the city and just picked up a bunch of girls. And says, I'll choose from a bunch of the prettiest girls that you could find. Esther shows up and she's not just pretty. She's anointed. She does not want to be there. She's being sold into this thing. She's being trafficked into this thing. And that's why, that's why Mordecai's words are so powerful. What if God chose you to be trafficked for such a time as this? Is it worth your suffering that you might save an entire nation? See how the words change when you get context? Context not that see but it doesn't approve of what the king did it says god is going to use your broken circumstances to bring him glory no matter how tr- no matter how traumatic and broken your circumstance god could be using it to prepare a nation but we don't know because we're so offended by the circumstance we're through with god and god's going no i'm going to use this and then what happens with esther she's she's literally a part of saving an entire generation of Jewish people so they can continue the whole line, whatever. There's a ton of stuff in there. But do you see what I'm saying about how God does influence? God does it backwards than you and I do it. God finds the weak and the broken and the hurting and the dirty and dying, and he gives them influence in high places because they're anointed and because they have his presence, not because they're perfect. Uh, The world values pride and respect. The, word, the world actually values pride. We love it. The world is looking for confident, charismatic personalities to lead them. That is what the world is looking for. The more confident and charismatic you are, you could lead anything. It doesn't even matter your education or anything. It kind of supersedes number two because you could just be confident, charismatic, and people are like, oh, we want to be around you. The thing is that the, the, the kingdom of heaven values honor and humility. See, honor is different than respect. I can respect people that I just don't honor. <laughs> God values humble a humble and contrite heart that's fully devoted to him. He's looking for the broken. He's looking for the people who recognize their own depravity and recognize they didn't earn their way there. And then honor is so different because then what we do is we honor people who don't have the confident, charismatic personality, but they've been loving on Jesus for 40 years. They've been doing it right for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Do you want, uh, let me tell you a story about uh, Look, I'm gonna. I'm going to, I can't tell you the names, but I could tell you this. I could tell you there was a season where there were two prophetic men on the planet who were very, very prophetic, calling out the most insane things you've ever heard. One of them had a charismatic personality and one of them was kind of a stumbling fool. Basically, he just didn't, didn't speak well. And when God started to outpour on both of them and on their ministry and on what God was doing, the guy who prophesied with real accuracy the, the the movement that would come out of it, he was left at home because he wasn't charismatic enough and wasn't, didn't have a strong enough personality to preach. And because he was left at home, abandoned by his friends, he fell into sin. Now, is that okay? No. He was rejected, left. He should have chosen God. There's a bunch of stuff in that, and he's repented and there's a ton of stuff going on but at the end of the day what i'm trying to tell you is is that we cannot choose people to be on platforms just because they're charismatic and great speakers we need people who are actually living this stuff out to be honored put in a place of authority in our midst no matter what their personality is the personality is irrelevant to what's going on inside we are a culture who loves, we honor, we, we put in high position anybody who's um who's um uh, what's the what's the word? Um an extrovert. We like value extroverts. But introverts were kinda like, oh yeah, that's nice. It's cool that you're an introvert, God bless you, you should be a janitor or something. You know what I mean? And it's like this is like that's stupid because we need to empower it. we need to empower our introverts too. Just because they're not dynamic speakers, doesn't mean they don't have something to say. They may say it slower. They may say it more direct. They may be at a different pace than you and I. They may not be as strong when they get on the mic, but it does not mean that their message is not important. And all over culture, have you ever watched kids' cartoons? It's like, let's honor the extrovert. Anybody who's quiet, like, we should put them away. My kids' cartoons are like that. The extroverts are awesome, and the the introverts are made to look stupid. That's ridiculous. That's not what God values. God's looking for humility. He's not looking for a personality. The world values comfort. (laughs) Whoa. Or the kingdom values sacrifice. I'm talking about the value of comfort, not that you won't ever be comfortable, but you need to learn how to operate in plenty and in poverty. You, I talked to Heidi Baker one time and I'm like, good Lord. Like, how did you ever, you're like in the dumps one week and then everybody's putting you like in five star resorts when you're in the States or in other nations. Like, how do you do this? Because that seems like a trip to me. Like I would just, at some point you just want to overturn tables. You know what I'm saying? Like, where, where is this? And she said, oh, for years, if you ever met Heidi, she talks all like, oh, it's, it's so great. <laughs> And she's just like, she basically, she said, she said, for years, I was super offended by it. And I just, I would reject it. And I'd go like sleep in the car or something crazy. And it's like, but then she realized that that's that both are actually God. That to live in plenty and to live in poverty, it's okay to go back and forth. You just have to receive where you are. But the difference is the world actually values comfort. And here's what happens. Let me tell you what happens. With our, we end up having dads that work 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week, work weeks, to try to make sure that their family has comfort, yet they have no father. So they see their kids two hours every night, but that's not enough to be a father what their kids actually need is a dad who's going to put them in an apartment and instead of a big house and be home with them most of the week instead of being at work. But we're not willing to make the sacrifice necessary for real relationship. So we keep working really hard to establish comfort, our level of comfort that we've determined what we deserve. And the world is so values it; they keep working towards it. And it's ended up, you guys, this is going to end up being lost anyway. Five, the world values independence. Oops, I'm not a count too. Five, and the world the world values dependence, uh, independence. Five, the kingdom values family. You guys have heard me preach this all week, so I won't have to go into this one very much. But the world values, I'm independent and I'm strong, especially for women. This is super strong on women, since the women's lib thing. Like, it's like there's there's this fierceness of like, I am strong and I don't need anybody. The truth is you desperately need people. And if you don't need people, you're actually way more arrogant than you are humble. I don't need anyone. I, look at how independent they are. Oh my gosh, they're great. Look how strong. No, what they actually are yearning for is family. And this is what the kingdom values. We need, this family is essentially covenant. Kingdom of Earth values revenge and violence. Forgiveness and love. Revenge and violence, that's super explanatory. The world actually, we need to get even. The hard part is that's actually not biblical. Getting even is not actually biblical. Getting even is actually God's job. This, justification, all those things, God actually takes care of that. God is your rear defender, your rear guard. He, go, he is going to justify you. He is the judge. He's the one that takes care of it. He is the one that does it. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Get revenge and slap them back? What does Jesus teach? When somebody slaps you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Can you imagine that in a fight? It wasn't a parable. That was really what he said. He said, if somebody hits you, let him hit you again. And if somebody steals your cloak, give them everything else you got. You ever seen, uh, you ever seen Les Mis? <laughs> That's like my favorite scene in the whole movie is the very beginning. Where Jean Valjean shows up. The priest lets him in the house. He steals stuff from the priest. He gets caught. They bring, the police bring him back to the priest's house. And the priest says, Jean Valjean, I am so disappointed in you. <laughs> and they're like, we found him. He said you gave him this stuff. But we knew it wasn't true. And he said, of course I gave it to him. I'm upset because you didn't take the candlesticks as well. They're the most valuable thing that I have. Oh, that, do you want the world to see what we value? Do that next time somebody takes from you, steals from you, robs from you, slaps you, stabs you in the back. Next time somebody stabs you in the back, tell everybody how great they are. Because the world needs to see that we actually believe in forgiveness and love and it's not just a nice concept. The world values keeping for themselves. Oops, what am I doing? I keep jumping ahead. Seven, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven values giving and generosity. This I've talked about this a couple times, so I'm not going to hit it too hard. I'm just going to say, like, these are kind of just the wrapping up of some of the things that I've hit in very specific ways. But we really, as a whole, the kingdom of earth values I need more for me. I need more for me. I need more stuff. I need more stuff. And a lot of times we get this message sort of in like, we wouldn't call it prosperity gospel, but it's the whole thing that where God wants to give you the desires of your heart. (laughs) And we keep hearing this, God, oh, brother, it's God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Yes, that is an actual piece of scripture in your Bible. But the entire Bible, in context, the entire Bible is about how God is supposed to be the desire of your heart. So when God is the desire of your heart, then God can give you the desire of your heart, which is him. We've made it a theology about us getting what we want and justifying getting what we want. No, be stoked on where you are if there are needs for you. Like, guys, right now I'm in a two-story house. I need a one-story house for my family. So do you think God's looking at my heart and me going, oh, I need a one-story house, and he's looking at my prayer going, God, you're just so greedy? No, he knows the needs of my family, so I'm asking him, pulling on heaven and saying, this is what I need in this hour for my family. We have a two story house with a dollar that doesn't walk. It was great when she was a little younger, but it does not work anymore. God, I need a one story house. Help me. Whether you're gonna give me a million dollars or whether you're gonna give me a hundred thousand dollars, or we just we got our credit scores back and they're like so high the bank wants to give us large amounts of money that we can't actually afford to pay back. But if God like you see what I'm saying? Like who knows what doors God's gonna open up to make it happen? But we're just saying this is a need, God, for my family, not oh, this is a desire of my heart. I need a four thousand square foot house, I need this giant stuff. And I justify by going, but we're going to have people over. It's going to be awesome. No, God, you know what we need. You make it happen. But I'm going to pull on heaven in prayer and in intercession. I'm going to call on you. I'm going to go after you because I know that you have something better than I even imagined for myself. But it's not me coming over here going, I can't wait to have more for me. Can't wait to have my big fancy car, my big whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I rent, like, this is how God does it. I go and I rent a cheap car at enterprise. I show up and say, Oh, you know what? Our our wheelchair won't fit back there. And they're like, well, you know what? The only thing we have is this Lincoln navigator. So we'll give it to you for $10 more. That's how God does it. He goes, Oh, I know what you need. You need room for the wheelchair. So I'll give you this huge thing. That's way too expensive for you, but I won't charge you anymore. Does that make sense? God does it that way because you're going after what we need and what we're going. What You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And over here, we got to start to, because what's happening is we end up living so far above our means here and here. We live so far above our means that we tell, we want to, we want to be generous. We want to be giving, but we've built a lifestyle that we can't anymore. And there's only two ways that you can view uh, giving. You're either a bucket or you're a pipe. These are the only two things that you can be. And here's the two different mentalities. In the bucket mentality, you say this, I'll give more when my bucket is full and overflowing, then I'll give the overflow. That's what most people say. God, if you fulfill my need, then I can give because I'll have enough and I'll be generous. No, what you'll do is as soon as this bucket starts to get overflowing, you just buy a bigger bucket. All of a sudden you have more money and where that one bedroom little studio that you had with you and your wife that was really awesome. That's just really not good enough anymore because now you can afford two or three bedrooms all in the name of justifying it in a bunch of spiritual ways. But you're just justifying it so that you can buy a bigger bucket that God now has to fill again before there's an overflow so that you can give. It's amazing how many people live paycheck to paycheck, but if, but when they were younger, they had just, they had more than enough than what they needed. And if their paycheck just kept growing, they could have just stayed in the small and been generous. Does that make sense? Or the bucket, which says everything that comes in isn't for me. So it goes directly back out. So I'm giving constantly. Constantly. Whether that's $5, $10, $50, and that sounds irresponsible. I could go really heavy into it and say, why do you have a retirement fund when you don't even know what you're going to do in 50 years? I don't, I don't see that in the Bible where it says, please store up for tomorrow. I think your Bible actually says the opposite. But we justify it because we want to, well, I want to prepare for the future. What Do you think that's what God's not doing? Do you think in preparing for the future, he just forgot about you? He's like, oh, that's right, you. Dang, everybody else is going to be good. You're screwed. No, you guys, we're so freaking stressed out about tomorrow that we don't even focus on what's right in front of us. No, what's in your bank account today is $50. And somebody comes up and says, I need $50. Guess what? You're the right person. You want more? Look, if you have $50 in your bank account and your bills are $200, what's the smartest thing you could do with $50? Sow it. Because until you plant a seed, you can never reap a harvest. That's the way we ran our house of prayer. The four years that we ran our house of prayer, if we did not have enough money at the end of the month to pay our bills, which was 30, I think it was like, you know, $5,000 $5,000 total. So it was like $5,000 total. It's just making up a number, something like that. And if we were just $1,000 or $500 short, we were not about to like write a bunch of letters, send out a bunch of emails. We said we believe that God is generous. So what we'll do is we'll take that entire amount, even if we're only $500 short, and we will sow it. We will sow it, believing God in faith, or else it's God saying you're done and the, the river's dried up. Why drink from a dry river? Sure, the river was flowing for a season. It was healthy. But if the river is drying up, then why are you trying to keep something moving that God's actually done with? Then you're just a beggar and a pauper, and that's not the way we're supposed to live. Go to where the river is flowing. And so what we did is we gave that stuff away, and here's what I would tell you. You want to be generous, and you want to see increase? Sow into individuals and not just movements. Find a person that is doing something that you want or is carrying something that you want and sew in. I think I already told you guys this, but I did that for years in the house of prayer directly to Chris Valentin, directly to Heidi Baker. They, pro- they didn't have any idea who I was at that time, they had no clue. It was just, what, why am I getting a check from. It's like $50 too. It'd be like 50 bucks or like 20 bucks or something stupid because we're like, we're going to sew into them, you know, like we're giving to them. Or when we got those big ones, we just split it up and sew, sew directly. And we'd sew to three specific places and what four when we were done because it would be Chris and Heidi and Lou and then um, Corey Russell um, over at IHOP. So we were like sewing into every movement directly to a person, not to a big movement where it was a wash to keep on lights, but an individual to keep the heart burning. And when we did that, I'll tell you, there's never a day we've gone without. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a guy that has received $10,000 checks. I've received up to $100,000 checks just given to me at one time. All over the world. One of our friends just got cut a million dollar check from a guy to start a music label and just said, hey, I believe in the anointing on your life. I can see it. God told me to give you a million dollars to help you start it. You guys, this is possible. Do you understand? I've been on airplanes, got off the airplane, and a guy came to me and said, Hey, I saw you reading your Bible. I don't know what you do for a living, but I wanted to cut you a check for $1,000 to say keep doing it. That has nothing to do with me reading my Bible. It has everything to do with me saying I'm not going to be a bucket. I'm going to be a pipe. Because God knows that he can trust me because I'm not going to drop that money into a cistern and hold on to it. He knows that it's going to go directly back out into individuals so we can be a blessing to the body. And because I've stewarded that way my whole life, really most of my life I have stewarded this way. Me and my family have stewarded this way. God knows he can tell that guy to give me $1,000 because that dude needs a breakthrough in his own finances. He's going to get it by sowing into what we've done. And he doesn't even know that. Find those people, send them money (laughs) as individuals, not just a blanket to a movement, okay? Not that you shouldn't give to movements however God leads, but I'm telling you, most of your giving should be done to individuals. That's my opinion. I feel like that's super biblical. If we were to talk about finances and money as a whole in the church, it would be pretty offensive, so I'm not going to necessarily go there too much. But the the reality that the 501c3, the, the nonprofit, is actually a joke in the church it was set up by the government to limit your power, not to give you more. Do you know what the 501c3 is? 501c3 is, it's, it, you guys know what a nonprofit is, right? Well, 501c3 is the code that the uh, IRS uses that says you are a nonprofit. The problem is that status was set up by Lyndon Johnson because the church almost overturned his running for president. And in order to silence them, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll give every pastor and leader a tax break if they become a 501c3. And I'll give the people a write-off so that when they give to their church, they get a, a tax break when they write it off. The problem is most churches don't know. You don't need a 501c3 to be a nonprofit. And, by the way, if you're giving just to get a tax break, you've already received your reward. Don't expect anything else. I'll I'll ask it this way. Do you think everyone in the church would still give if they didn't didn't get a tax break? So what happens when we lose it? Because we will lose it soon. Our church is going to be able to function and keep on the lights when everybody loses their tax break. No, because we haven't trained them to be good givers. We've trained them to get when they give. Instead of teaching them to be generous, we told them, please give, you'll get a tax write-off. Instead of saying, no, be generous even if you get nothing because your treasure is in heaven, not on earth. Look it up. Look up the history of the five hundred one c three. Google it. You'll see it all on there. It's open for everybody, and all churches and all nonprofits can actually look it up and find out ways to still operate as a nonprofit and still give everyone tax breaks without submitting to the five hundred one c three. The reason the five hundred one c three is so negative to the church is because when you preach, when you preach against uh, against the government, uh, against the government, or like. Su- clearly support like a specific person running you'll lose your 501c3 and in canada they're already arresting pastors they're already arresting pastors for preaching against homosexuality because it's now it's considered a hate crime do you not do you think that's not coming here are you confused that this that you think that's not going to happen here what are you going to are you not going to preach the bible because it's a hate crime or are you going to go to jail that's the question but it's all based around the same idea. Finances, 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 money, money, money. No, we supersede that government, you guys. We are the greatest government on the earth, and we're busy submitting to a government that does not have your best interest in mind. We're so freaking patriotic, it makes me want to throw up. Some people are convinced when you speak against the government, you're actually speaking against God as if this was a Christian nation. That is a myth. This is not a Christian nation. This was not founded on the principles of the gospel, you guys. Do your history. This is not a nation founded on the God you and I serve. It was founded on the ability to worship whatever God you wanted. That is so different than the Jesus we love. Stop defending a country that won't defend you when you choose Jesus over them. That world, that government, that system desperately needs you. Desperately needs you. And we're submitting to it as if, they, as if we desperately need them. No, you do not need their approval. They need to find you when you're actually living like a Christian. Number eight, the world values secrets. This is the last one, and I'm going to show you something else. Secrets and lies. And the last one here is we speak uh, honesty and confession. The world actually values not telling people the truth, just covering it up so that you look really good. Just lie. Keep it covered. I'm telling you right now, I've told you guys this from the beginning. You should be confessing all of your sin to everyone you know, (laughs) And you'll find out who your real friends are. Because until they really know who you are, they don't know who they're loving. They're only loving the version of you that you shared with them. And we've got, to re- we've got to destroy that secrets and lies thing and just say, we're going to be honest and just say, this is who we are. This is what we're struggling with. This is where we're at. And if you hate me for it, I, I know that Jesus still welcomes me. And if you can't handle that, this is just what I'm And we've got all, that's why so many young people, even struggling with homosexuality in the church, they feel like they can never say anything. So it just perpetuates this thing inside of them that says, well, I can't say anything. It's a secret. So it's fostered in this secret place in their hearts where they know what you're going to say to them. Instead of knowing they're going to get a hug and they're going to be received and they're going to be, let's talk through this, let's walk through this, let's press into it, like I was saying earlier, we press into it and walk through the hard stuff. Instead of doing that, they, they know they're just going to get rejected and pushed away. And if you're struggling in this room, if there's homosexuality like that's struggling inside of you, if there's something that's wrestling inside of you, if there's homosexual tendencies that are inside your heart, it's time to stop playing games and just bring it out. The God of the universe, your daddy loves you radically. And we cannot keep things like this pornography. The thing is, is you could cut it off as much as you want all over this school and block it on the, uh, your good old internet and on the Wi-Fi. But the truth of the matter is, everybody has a cell phone. In fact, everybody has a cell phone, and this is what we started doing. We started doing an offering. <laughs> we started doing a cell phone offering. And in the cell phone offering... We have kids come up who are struggling with pornography and they give their phones and we destroy them. This is a nice new Samsung that we took uh, the corner of a pulpit to because the kid came up. He said he just bought it a week earlier, but he's been looking at pornography on it. And the Bible says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and it wasn't a parable. He literally meant it. If this thing is causing you to sin, you get rid of it. You cut it off. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Use a payphone. It's better for you to use a payphone than for you to continue struggling and sin. This is what it should look like. I had one kid. He took his parents' desktop computer, and he chucked it out the second-story window of their house. A junior high kid. He came to me and he said, "I'm he, and he said I'm grounded for four months, but I saved my soul." I had a I had a college student who heard that story, came up for prayer, got delivered for um, from pornography, went back up to his dorm room, took the computer and chucked it out of his dorm room window into the parking lot. MacBook Pro. <laughs> He, re- he had all of his work for the semester on that, on that computer. He rewrote it by hand, went to the library, and had to rewrite everything. And he said, it's more work than I've ever done in all of my schooling, but I know that God set me free. Because the actual memories and images that were in my mind, I tried to recall them in a moment of weakness, and they were gone. I could not even recall them. But see, until there's confession, until we come up and go, no, I'm not going to This bow your head, close your eyes. Crap is stupid. If you can't confess, the, if you can't confess Jesus openly, wh- why in the world would a bunch of other people in the nations open G- uh, openly confess to, that Jesus is Lord? If you can't even do it with your own junk here in the United States where you're allowed to. What, you're still so worried about what other people think of you, yet you're going to be courageous? No, it doesn't work that way. Oh, we just need you to confess it to your leaders. No, stand up in the room and get set free because darkness being brought into light delivers everyone. The kingdom is better than you ever imagined. It's better than you ever imagined. I know you guys already went through deliverance for some of this stuff, but I feel like we might just do an altar call for it again. Normally when I travel, like when I travel, there's three altar calls that I do. I do three altar calls. One, to get delivered from fear. Two, delivered from uh, pornography and masturbation three to get completely delivered or to get back your virginity. Like God doesn't do a second virginity. He actually gives you first one back as if it never, you never lost it. You don't serve a God of second chances. That's worthless. (laughs) You serve a God who gives you your first chance back again and restores you body, mind, soul, and spirit. He redeems everything, the flesh and the soul. And we don't do it as a bow your head, close your eyes. It's like, if you want it, I'm going to count to three, come forward. (laughs) And I love it because everywhere we do it all over the planet, I think everybody in the room goes, oh, nobody's coming forward for that. Everybody in the room thinks the same thing. There ain't nobody coming forward for that altar call. I was in the Ukraine, and two young men were the only two to come forward because nobody talks about sex. Why is it important to talk about sex? Why is it important to do those altar calls? Because I said it yesterday. If you have no intimacy, you cannot walk in power. We need depth of relationship. You want to really sing songs with power? You want to really intercede with power? You want to really do missions with power? You want to have real compassion that actually supersedes your emotional stability? (laughs) then you've got to have intimacy with God. And there's all these things that are are distorting and perverting our intimacy that we're never dealing with. And all of this makes no sense to somebody who doesn't have love as a context and has been completely set free. All right, and that's how we're going to end. We're going to do three altar calls. (laughs) Now you're really worried. You're like, I'd rather you preach something crazy again. We're going to do three altar calls. I already told you what they are. I was going to give you another practical tool, but I I feel like this is the most practical thing we could do. We're going to get delivered from fear, all of us. Now, there's two types of fear, the fear of man and the fear of God. How do you know which one you're operating in? It's super easy. The fear of man will not allow you to move forward. The fear of God pushes you forward. If you're stuck in the same, if you've been stuck in the same place over a long period of time, whether that's months or years, and you're stuck in the same place spiritually, the fear of man is still on your life. But when you have the fear of God, you can't help but be moving forward because you know that the awe and the majesty and the wonder and the greatness of God thrusts you forward because you don't, it's just, there's a, there's a degree to which I'm not going to screw this up. <laughs> And it's not, it's not condemnation, it's conviction. I'm not going to mess this up. And he just thrusts you forward, and you're like, I'm going. So we're going to get delivered from the fear of man. Can everybody just stand up together? We're going to get delivered from the fear of man. And it's the first one, because it takes no fear to do the other two. Shatara So would you just put your hands, palm down, palm down. You're going to drop off fear, and then you're going to get courage and boldness. And we're going to do impartation. That's what we're doing. We're going to get delivered from something, and then I'm going to give to you whatever courage I've fought for and and received from God. Then I'm going to impart that to you. So with your hands, palm down. And if you don't believe that this actually works, um, number one, I just go back to say, read your Bibles again. And number two, we know that through the laying on the hands and through impartation, that's how we receive gifts, and that's how we get set free. And so with your hands palm down, just repeat after me. See, I break agreement with a spirit of fear wherever it's hiding and wherever I made agreement with it. I command it to go back to hell where it came from, never to return again. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and put your hands palm up. I receive a spirit of courage and boldness in the name of Jesus. That you would empower me from the inside out to live out your will every day for the rest of my life. That I would live by your word and by your power, not by other people's ideas about who I am. I want to live by what you say, not what the world says. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come baptize me and replace fear. Anywhere it's left me, replace it with your presence right now in Jesus' name. Just receive him for a minute. Just slow down. We just receive you, Holy Spirit. We need your presence desperately. If we're going to give it to the world, we need it in us first. Holy Spirit, come. Come and baptize us fresh this morning. It says continually be filled. Continually be filled. So we just say this morning we ask for a new filling, a new impartation, a new grace, a new depth in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, whoever wants to get delivered from pornography, no matter if you're looking at it once a week, once a month, every day, I don't really care if it is a regular thing that's in your life. I don't care if it's Pictures, videos, you glance at it on Facebook, it finds you. I don't care how it comes, I don't care how it shows up. Well, I'm asking you to come forward. And um, I'm gonna ask you to come forward up into this area right here, because this is just the easiest place for everybody to get to. I want you to come forward right up here. And when you come forward, I just want you to get on your knees. And I told you, the testimonies are, if you wanna start coming forward, you're more than welcome to now. I don't really care, that's fine. Just come forward. And if it's just a little thing, if you think, this is the thing, if you've convinced yourself it's not a big deal, it is already a big deal. If you've said to yourself it's, a big, it's not that big a deal, it is a big deal. God wants to deal with it, not in harshness, not in judgment, not in condemnation. He is a dad who radically loves you, and it's not just for men. This is for women as well. And some of you, for women, the pornography is simply you watch too many movies about love that have distorted and perverted your version of love. So you're actually rejecting very good men around you because they're not living up to the movies. Because they're not living up to this sort of fake romance that you built in your head that relationships are supposed to look like. I don't care if you're a leader in this room or you're a student in this room. If we don't get set free right now from some of this stuff, we will not be able to develop real intimacy and a longing for Jesus that nobody can stop us. Because what ends up happening is we get a little bit of closeness with God, and then the enemy goes, oh, remember, you still struggle with that. So you might want to go away. And you're like, yeah, I do struggle with that. And then we back off, and we start the whole process over again. I promise you from this moment forward, no hype. This is not hype. I've seen it a thousand times, you guys. God's not just going to deliver you from the addiction. And the distortion, he's actually going to deliver you, set you free from every memory and every image that still is inside of your head that you got told you can't get counseled out of. That's right. God can deliver you from it and remove it from your mind right now. So with your hands, palm down. I just want you to repeat after me. I'm so excited for your guys' courage. If there is anybody else, just come forward right now. Don't, look, we're going to pray right now. If you're worried about what other people think about you, you are making a very bad choice. <laughs> Do not worry about what everybody else is going to think. Who cares how dynamic a personality you are? Who cares what everybody thinks about how great you are? Then God is not going to think less of you in this moment. God actually gets to set you free because you're humbling yourself before God so he can exalt you. Don't let pride stop you from doing what you need to do. You are bringing darkness into light for maybe the first time in front of a bunch of people who didn't even know. And you're saying, I don't care anymore. If I don't get breakthrough, I'm going to die. If I don't get breakthrough, I'm going to die. I've got to get breakthrough. I've got to get breakthrough in this. I've got to get breakthrough. I am not going to keep cycling in this thing. I'm not going to keep going around this mountain again for 30 years. I've got to get breakthrough before I can get my family. Before I can get my friends back. Before I can date again. Before I can get in a real relationship. I've got to get set free from this sta shock rabassotto roba cu i derebassa antatabaku I promise you that most of your prophets are up here in the front because the enemy has been trying to to cloud their lenses with a bunch of other images so they can't see clearly. And when you get delivered up here in the front, you're going to prophesy with such clarity, with such discernment, with such accuracy that the world is going to shake at your words. Your lenses have been distorted and your intimacy has been robbed and you're going to get it back. You're going to get it back. What's your name right here? Sorry, you have your eyes covered. You can't see me. What is your name? You are, a, you are a prophet, a real one. And that's why this has been cycling around your life because it's distorted your lenses in such a way that you can't prophesy because there's guilt and shame in here. God's going to deliver you from the guilt and shame and you will prophesy. Not just, not, I'm not talking about words of knowledge and accuracy. I'm talking about a prophet. I'm talking you will literally go in and shape movements and shake nations with your voice. You will literally be able to know exactly what's happening in regions, prophesy into churches and change the destiny of entire churches that you go into because that is what you know that because you've seen it and you're wired for it and this moment right now will shape you right into it and you're never going to look back ever again and now some of you i'm saying this stuff and you're going to need to bring your phones up you're going to need to bring your computers you're going to need to bring certain things and say i'm sick and tired because you guys uh, if we're going to get sanctified it requires a sac- sacrifice And so you got to come forward and give the sacrifice. Oh, it's hard. Trust me. I know how much money phones and computers are. Oh, but it's worth it. Is it not better for you to lose a phone or a laptop or an iPad or whatever and to be set free? Do you think God's not going to breathe on your sacrifice? He breathes on your sacrifice every single time. So with your palms down right now, just repeat this after me. If there's anybody else, we're going to pray right now. Put your hands palm down. And it is not the same if you pray in your seat, just so you know. I've had some people say, oh, well, I prayed in my seat. No, it doesn't work like that. You bring darkness into light. You make a confession. You make a stand and God breathes on it. With your hands palm down, just say this. Repeat after me. I break agreement with a spirit of perversion, distortion. I break its power right now, wherever it came from, wherever I made agreement with it. I command it to leave now in Jesus name. Guilt shame condemnation you have no authority in my life you cannot dictate my direction and you cannot lie to me anymore I do not believe what you're saying about me and I refuse to live by your lies I am not the things that I do I am who God says I am and I command all of you go back to hell where you came from Never to return again. Get out. Get out. Get out. 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 And I command. This is the key one, you guys. I command an orphan spirit that has told me I do not belong to leave now in Jesus' name. Go back to hell where you came from. Never to return again. And I break every soul tie. That I've made with these images. Go back to hell where you came from. And I release those images. To you God. Put your hands on your head. Holy Spirit. Divinely edit my memory. Divinely edit my memory. Every image. That dishonors one of your children. And it has caused me to sin. And has robbed my thought life. I command you to go now leave. You cannot stay and Holy Spirit replace it with thoughts of you, thoughts that are pure, thoughts that are lovely in Jesus name with palms up. Now you're going to receive it really is that easy. Holy Spirit, I receive a spirit of adoption. That I'm a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I have not lost my place. You do not disown me. You have not pushed me away. I do not have to start over. You take me back just as I am pure, redeemed, washed in the blood. And I receive right now the ability to deliver others who are in my place. I take authority. (laughs) I take authority with spirit of pornography and lust that has defined a period of my life. But I will not live in it anymore. And I will not let others live in it anymore. And I receive back intimacy. I receive my intimacy. First with you and then with others. (laughs) That you have a relationship for me. And you'll heal the relationships I have. Because they will come from a clean place. Holy Spirit, baptize me. A fresh baptism. Right now. And God, I just ask right now that you would wash them right now like a river. That you would come on them like a waterfall of your presence would come on them. Huh. The thoughts about what to do next don't even come. <laughs> because it's not about what comes next. It's about who we are now. God wash them right now. Cleanse them. Pour out on them. Pour out on them. Let them feel it. Let them feel the waters of your presence. Let them feel the washing right now. Let them feel the cleansing right now. Let them feel it. Knowing that they're not just praying an empty prayer, but that your presence is on it. That our words are empty until your presence touches it. And when your presence touches it, when there's an open confession, when there's darkness brought into light, when you touch it, it's a brand new beginning. It's a brand new beginning. And God, right now we activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are inside of them that have gone dormant because of this, because of cycles of of disappointment and and condemnation and sin. God, those things that have laid dormant, those things that have been grieved, God, would they be awakened right now in Jesus name? Would they be awakened inside of them? The things that they have pushed down, made silent. I right now in Jesus' name that it be reawakened right now. Right now. Not in a week, not in a month, right now in this room. Reawaken it right now. Would you even begin to speak to them, Holy Spirit, about the gifts that have laid dormant, that they have not been paying attention to? Would you show them the places of leadership right now in open visions? Would you show it to them tonight in dreams? Would you speak to them throughout the day, God? Show them through the Father's love that you've completely redeemed them and they're completely set free. And all those who agreed said, Amen. Now, some of you may stay. We're going to do an altar call for, 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 your, for, um, for getting back your virginity. And if you want back your virginity, I'm talking you are clean, washed white as snow. You are getting it back today. Body, mind, spirit. You're not going into your marriage as like, well, I, you know, I already given it up. God's going to give me a second chance. There is not a second chance for this. He's giving you your first chance back again and redeeming you. If that's you, I want you to come forward right now. Come forward right now, and we're going to take a few minutes to pray for this. God's going to deliver you from being defined by your body, by your looks. He's going to to just deliver you into real relationships. Some of you have been wondering, why can't I get breakthrough in sort of relationships? I'm looking for somebody. Just come all the way up here, whoever. I'll go all the way over here, make more room. There's tons of room right up here. Just keep coming. Now, I also want to say this, oral sex is still sex. Yes, I said that in class. That's all still sex. All of that's still sex. Get your butts up here. Don't take time. If you've given yourself up in certain ways that you know that is, is not the Lord, you need to get up here. See, we've, we've defined sex as so, just intercourse, but I, the last time I heard, there's a lot more to sex than just that. And there's certain ways where we've given ourselves over to another that has to get cleansed if we're going to move forward. Does that make sense? I'm not going to like draw diagrams or anything, but I really think we need to understand that this is a lot bigger than intercourse. I said that in class too. Wow. You guys, God, God wants to redeem our bodies too. Now, what we're going to do first is we're going to get delivered from soul ties. Soul ties, I'm sure you guys heard this, but soul ties are essentially this, where I have literally allowed another person sexually into my life, and I've opened a doorway to them, from them to me, where I'm receiving from them, and they're receiving from me even after the act is over. Because sex makes two become one. Not marriage, sex. The two become uh, one flesh when they lie together. That word there is sex. Okay? It makes the two become one flesh. And what God wants to do is sever those unhealthy soul ties. I've even heard it as far as, dude, one guy, one guy was going through counseling for years and said, I never had homosexual tendencies, but it is like in me. I'm getting like these homosexual thoughts and I've never had them. And I don't know why. And he went through counseling, went through deliverance, went through all this stuff. And he's like, I don't want this. What is going on? And finally, a counselor came to him and said, hey, look, have you ever had sex with someone that, has now, is now, that you know is now gay? And he goes, Yes. One of the girls I dated has become gay now. She's like all over Facebook, she's gay. And he goes, that's the soul tie. If we break that soul tie, you'll never have those thoughts again. And I tell you what, they cut that soul tie, prayed it off, never had a sexual, homosexual thought ever again in his life. And some of, I say that because some of you are feeling angry. You felt depression. You felt certain things that are not normally you, and you wonder where they're coming from. They're not coming from you. They're entering in through a soul tie that you made with somebody else that you're not even around anymore. Does that make sense? And when you get delivered from it right now, it will leave you and you won't have those uh, odd tendencies anymore. Does that make sense? Okay. So that way, when when I say what a soul tie is and I ask you to break the soul tie, you're going to know what I'm saying. Okay. That's really important, especially for sex. And I'm going to make you say their names out loud. Okay. So name or names you need to say out loud. Okay You don't have to shout it, please don't shout it. Um, just say it out loud because the power of the tongue is to build up and to tear down, and if you don't know how to build and, and the devil is afraid of you using your tongue because it builds up the kingdom and tear down tears down his if you use it correctly, okay? so just put your hands, palm down and repeat this after me. say, I break every soul tie that I have made with and then fill in the names. just say it just a whisper, say it out loud, just take a few minutes. If there's people, if there's seriously people you don't remember, that's okay. Just say, God, you know who they are. Now say this. I give them back to you. Everything I stole from them, I give back to them. Everything they stole from me, I take take back from them. I release them into your hands. They are no longer my responsibility. I believe you will take care of them, that you will, you will steward their hearts, and you will love them. Now, I also want to say this with your hands palm down. I'm going to say this over you because some of you were raped. There were other issues there that were taken advantage of and it was stolen from you. You didn't give it up. It was stolen from you. And right now I break shame as a father. I speak as a dad into your life that, you, uh, that we break shame and guilt that what was stolen from you, God is going to give you back 100%. As a father, I place a father's blessing on you that you are completely restored even though what you loved and what you did not want to give up was taken from you. I bless you right now as a dad. I cover you as a father and we wash you as a, we wash you as a family. There's no more shame or guilt about it. And with your hands palm down, with your hands palm down, say, I break agreement with a spirit of shame, guilt, and condemnation. Go back to hell where you came from. I will not believe your lies anymore. I will not live in your lies anymore. Any lust, any perversion, any distortion that I've received because of those actions I command them to leave now in Jesus name you cannot stay spirit an orphan spirit i see you and i call you out and i command you to leave now go back to hell where you came from you will not dictate the direction of my life any longer you cannot stay put your hands on your head and i command every thought every memory, and every image to leave now. Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Renew my mind. That I would only dwell on things that are pure and lovely and from your heart. Give me the mind of Christ. Give me the mind of Christ. I want to think like you. I want to dream like you. I want to hear you clearly. I want to know clearly. I want to understand clearly. From your word and from your heart. In Jesus' name. Put your hands palm up. I receive a spirit of adoption. That says, I am a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and I receive back in full what I got at my birth my virginity fully, completely body, mind soul, spirit I receive it all back in Jesus name (laughs) Holy Spirit come baptize me and redefine love so that I would look for this for you that are single so that I would look and be aware of the right relationships at the right time. And right now, I just want you to say, if you are single here and you're just and this is you're up front. I want you just to say to, to say to your dad, father, I do want a relationship that you have for me, that you've ordained for me, that you've set apart for me, prepare me and prepare them. For what the rest of our lives will look like. Holy Spirit. Wash over me. Like a sweet spring rain. Come and wash me. No more guilt. No more shame. I'm brand new. In your presence. Thank you God. For being so awesome. Amen. So, Lord, right now, over everybody in the room, I just pray a father's blessing. (laughs) You're a bunch of good kids. (laughs) Some of you are my age, so that sounds weird. But I believe fatherhood is not about an age. It's not even about having children. It's an anointing that says, I see you for who you really are. And you guys, this week, I know that I've seen a lot of you for who you really are. And you're more than your circumstance. You're more than your calling. You're more than your gifting. You're more than your platform or your missions trip or your DTS. You are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you'll never not be a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I just bless you with the Father's blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me come and mess with you for a few days. I really appreciate it. Love you guys. <laughs>